Okay, this has to be one of the most unique episodes of the Ortho Show podcast yet. We bring on Kamran Hamid, who is an orthopedic surgeon and foot and ankle specialist. Yes, we're at the Shoulder 360 meeting, and we're talking to a foot and ankle surgeon. It seems like foot and ankle surgery may just be his side hustle. He's a stand-up comedian. He is a rapper, and the dude's got some serious rap skills. We're going to share them. Really love this episode on a unique individual on the planet. Just, I know you're going to love it as well. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, coming at you from Shoulder 360. And what am I doing talking to a foot and ankle specialist? Well, he's got a lot going on. He is a social media maven. You're going to love this episode, I can promise you. We have Dr. Kamran Hamid, who's an orthopedic surgeon, foot and ankle specialist, practices in Chicago, who's now the chief medical officer at Loyola Medicine. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm sorry none of your other guests worked out and you had to settle for me. <laughs> no, it's beautiful, dude. You're going to open up a lot more than that. I love it. All right, so we always like to start off at the beginning, you know. Uh, so where and when I see something about the, the American School of The Hague. I mean, talk yeah. to us about your, your background in history. Yeah, um, well... I am uh, was born in Oklahoma. I don't like to talk about that usually, but uh, I moved to the Netherlands when I was a child. And so actually I lived uh, outside of The Hague for several years. And um, it turns out that speaking Dutch is a very useless skill for an Indian child. But um, come on, throw a little you, Dutch at us uh, right now. Uh, so those are words that you did not anticipate coming out of this face. Um, so I, I uh, we went to school over there for a while. Then we moved to Dallas. Uh, we call it the Big D, which had a different connotation than now we can't say that anymore. Uh, then, All right. So talk to me about why were you there? Your parents? What what, what were your parents? Yeah, uh, my dad worked for an oil company. Okay. And so anyway, it's Halliburton. We usually don't say that. Either. Oh, just sure. Say, the Republicans uh, and the Democrats get all mad at everybody, but it's all good. Yeah, so um, he's a manager of research, and he was working on a project in the North Sea, and that's how we ended up in the Netherlands. And it makes sense that you go down to oil country, down in, uh, into Texas as well at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we ended up in Dallas, and I went to high school there, Plano Senior High School, not East, not West, just the best. Okay. Um, and I went to Texas A&M University for college and medical school. So I was um, actually accepted into medical school when I was in high school, and then I had to go as part of this like combined program. Was it eight years or down to six years at the time? Um, I had six, seven, or eight as the option. And so yeah. in my second year of college, I started getting depressed thinking about having to go to medical school right away. So I uh, rebelled as much. I was a goody two-shoes. I like Eagle Scout and everything. I rebelled as much as I could, and I um, started doing stand-up comedy uh, when I was a sophomore. Oh, we're totally going to get there. I mean, you, you got a lot going on, brother, for sure. But 
I mean, was this like the classic Indian parents who were like, you know, you're going to medical school at the age of like six months and you just have to get there? I didn't realize there was a choice. So yes. yeah, it was just from the very beginning in utero, it was, this was the plan. Yeah. And brothers and sisters, are they all doctors and stuff as well? Yeah, I have a little sister. She's a doctor too. <laughs> yeah, she's, no mar- choices. she's married to a doctor as well. <laughs> yes, so they met no in medical school in Cadaver Lab as all great yeah, romances. Jews begin. and Indians, it's like, there's no choice. You yeah, know, you're going right. to go to medical school or a lawyer or whatever. Yeah. Yes, I'm Jewish just to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, I didn't re- it wasn't until after I was a doctor that I realized I had one other option, which was engineer, but uh, I missed the boat on that. So. I love it. I love it. So, so the comedy thing rolls in early in life. Yeah, it rolls in and then it goes into hiatus for a long time. So um, I started doing stand-up between um, sophomore and junior year of college. And um, actually, the interesting thing is I don't, I don't drink, but um, because I wasn't 21, I was not allowed into the comedy club. So they would let me come in just to perform, and then I had to leave right afterwards. Um, and so I did that for a while, and then I had to win a competition as the best college comedian in the country. Um, really? And, this is uh, fascinating. I yeah, love this. So, so I would say the funniest person I think I ever worked with was a guy named Mitch Hedberg. He passed away, unfortunately, but he was a, he was a genius. Um, and then... Uh, I did stand up with uh, Martin Short, who was a little bit bigger name at the time. Now probably don't know him. Yeah, no, we all know Martin Short for um, sure. Even the young kids in the crowd know yeah, him. And so. then I did stand up with a Bill Cosby. Bill which, Cosby. Yeah, I hope he didn't a, ask you out. He did not. Okay, good. Uh, I don't think he was really into asking people. <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> we. Um, but that was a source of pride until like four years yeah, ago. And then now now you're in hiding, it although it's back out again, unfortunately, but the world will know. Oh once gosh. Again. Yeah. yeah we, for 125 countries that we reach to right now. Oh my so, goodness gracious. so it's all good. That's fantastic. So it's interesting. So did you fall in your face a lot? Was that something that really helped you to, to grow and mature later on as well? I mean, co- comedy's hard. Yeah, it's tough. Um, so the first show that I did it went pretty well. Um, there was actually a guy named Paul Varghese that went before me. He was also Indian. And he was um, about my age. He's two years older than me. And he had gone and taken lessons at the Improv Comedy Club in uh, Addison, Texas. This is in North Dallas. And so he's like very polished. And it was his first time going on stage outside of that place. And so he went up um, at this comedy club and he performed. And he did pretty well. And he went up there and I was like, oh my God, this guy, like some of his jokes are the same as mine, basically. Uh, and so I went up and I did my thing and it went relatively well. And then um, and then there was like a lull because stand-up comedy is very different than performing, like making music. Because if you're in a band and you go up and you're even in a bad band and you're not very good, people always cheer for you. Like your friends or whoever, they'll be nice. In the sure, sure. But stand-up comedy is unforgiving. You're out there on your own. And you get maybe um, 15, 20 seconds of sympathy applause. And it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. If you're not funny at, at that point, um, you can't fake it till you make it. They won't laugh. And sure. so anyways... Um, but there's so many other variables that go into it besides whether you're funny. You can be the funniest person in the world, but if you're in a giant room with horrible acoustics and the you know the speakers are horrible and there's not many people in there, 
it's impossible. It's impossible to do well in that. Scenario. It's like podcasting, man. You got to have all the right people in place for right. sure. It's like this whole crew. You Yoo-hoo, got in here. Go ortho show. So um, the second show that I did was in a uh, establishment. It looked kind of like Cheers. It was like a underground place. And we went in this huge, huge. And this hall. is in Texas. This is in Texas. Chicken wire in front of you for the beer bottles that they don't. Smash yeah, in yeah, your right. Face. Something like that. <laughs> it was in Fourth Worth, aka Funky Town. So um, it was down uh, downstairs, and I went in, and it was huge. And there were like maybe five people doing comedy, and um, there were only th- three people in the audience. So and so, and it was gigantic, and they were sitting back, and they were there because they were only one person's friend, and so they cheered for that guy, then they got up and left, and then the rest of us are just like talking into a microphone. <laughs> this place I is empty. It. So at that point, I was like, well, I don't think this is for me, but. I don't know. I decided to do it one more time and continue to do okay. And then started building. Yeah, from there. getting better and better. I think the thing that helped me out um, was that uh, my standup is relatively clean for the most part. Sure. And I didn't use profanity and those sorts of things. And so there's a little bit bigger market for that. Yeah, and it's a growing experience. I mean, it is not easy to get up in front of people and sort of improv and be able to identify things that connect with people so that you can find. And so the, the amount of energy and work behind each session. The homework, for example, you know, the whiteboard, putting it out, rolling, rolling it by, practicing yeah. all that stuff. It's, yeah. it's a lot of work. It's uh, people get the impression when they see Dave Chappelle or someone like that caliber go out there that it's just like all, you know, right off the cuff and improv. And it's not. It's like that person has a unique talent to make things seem fresh, even though they've said it a yeah. hundred times before. Uh, for most people, though, stand up comedy is like it's very formulaic in that psychologically people really only remember the beginning of the set and the end of the set. I don't really remember a whole lot of what on, went on in the middle. So you start off with, um, let's say you go and do three minutes at an open mic night and of the three minutes, only 30 seconds of it is very good. So, um, maybe you toss two and a half minutes or maybe you say, you know, I'm going to tweak that and try it again. So you go try three minutes again and really only 30 seconds is good. So part of it is you have to swallow your pride and say, all right, I came up with two and a half minutes of garbage and I just need to move on for that. So you keep that 30 seconds. You keep building a little bit. When you have enough, you put the book in. So the good stuff at the beginning and the good stuff at the end, and then you do all the experimentation in the middle, and that's how it expands. But it can take people years to get 45 minutes that are tight. Yeah, but I mean, it's also a great life lesson for all of the other things you do, right, at that early stage of your career. All right, let's talk about your side hustle, which is orthopedic surgery, apparently. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so so Texas A&M, early on, parents don't give you a choice, you're going to be a doctor, you roll through, and when did orthopedics sort of come into part of the picture? Um, after I graduated, so I never really rotated in orthopedic surgery. When I was 16 in high school, I had worked with a a man in Plano named Alan Barber. I had shouted. Oh, we love Alan, Alan Barber. He is the best. Alan's the man. I loved yeah. him so much. And um, But then I went to college and um, started medical school. And I really like kids. And I was like, oh, you know, like, I think I'm going to be a pediatrician. And um, I never actually never had an opportunity. I tried to rotate on orthopedics, but um, my med school didn't give me that as an elective. And so I never did it. So I, um, I love the people that I work with in pediatrics, and I went into peds um, at a great program in Southern California 
uh, Children's Hospital of Orange County, affiliated with UC Irvine. And so um, I started off and then I realized, uh, one, this is a lot of diarrhea. I did not anticipate this. Um, and the second is, this is a, pediatrics is a lot of children, it turns out. Yeah, so you definitely take care of kids. Like a lot of for kids. Sure. And, so, and their parents and too. And their parents, right. And so um, I, my dad is a mechanical engineer. And so I uh, missed like using our, my hands and we, we used to build stuff and Pinewood Derby and all that sort of stuff in the, in the garage when I was growing up. And uh, I missed that. And so we, um, uh, I did peds for a year, um, but I knew like a few weeks in this wasn't for me. And I kind of uh, fell in love with surgery there because I, I scrubbed some cases when I was on my um, anesthesia rotation with some of the general surgeons, so peds, general surgeons, cardiothoracic. And I was like, wow, this is cool. So um, I took a little time off um, after my peds internship and I, um, Went back to went back home, and I spent a little time with a, a man named Bob Proby, Texas A and M, who's the chair of orthopedics at that time, and he convinced me to to do orthopedics. And so um, the journey gets a little longer. So the year that I applied, I did an MPH at Harvard, and they would be uh, they would be upset with me because at Harvard they taught us that you should let people know you went to Harvard within thirty seconds, and it's been now almost ten so minutes. Did, did so. you go to the Hong Kong? <laughs> did you go to the Hong Kong and do any comedy specials like in Cambridge while you were there? Um, no? I would do stand up at like at the school okay. or just like for functions and things like that. Um, and then, I mean, it's funny, you Chicago guys. I mean, we have Brian Cole on, and Brian was going to be an OB before he became this world famous, you know, orthopedic surgeon. Right. So I think it's you are the first member of the Ortho Show to say you were going to do pediatrics before finding the light to become orthopedic. Orthopedic, yeah, for yeah. Sure. I was swimming upstream. So um, I did my MPH in biostatistics and epidemiology, which is the least funny thing oh there my is. God, that has to have been so, and, so uh, incredibly boring. I'm I, sorry. Yeah. How'd you get through that? Well, I'm Indian, so I. As you can imagine, I'm a mathlete. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, no, it's it's interesting. It was exciting. I I liked it. Um, I did my ortho uh, residency at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. It's a great program. We we got a lot of uh, training, especially in um, trauma, and so it was a wonderful time. Uh, And then while I was there, I just had really wonderful mentors in foot and ankle. Yeah. Um, I did my fellowship at Duke and then I ended up at Rush. I was actually Brian. Yeah. You had Rush for, for a while. Yeah. I know we were going to talk about that as we got going as well. You were at Rush for about four years or so and helping to take care of some of the pro teams as well. Yeah. A, a lot of foot and ankle stuff going on with yeah. basketball in particular. For uh, sure. Yeah. So I work very closely with Brian is yeah. a mentor of mine, um, taking care of the Chicago bulls and, um, you know, it's a like pro athlete medicine. It's a different brand than yes. everything else, and so I mean, it has its own unique requirements and stressors as well. Yes, and which you don't necessarily learn in a foot and ankle fellowship. Which, yeah, I would say I was, um, I was lucky. I had a gentleman, Jim Nunley, who was one of my um, attendings and uh, and mentors in fellowship. He had taken care of a fair number, like he took care of Duke basketball, sure. and Duke athletes, and a fair number of professional athletes, but. For the most part, we didn't see those people. We said, yeah. oh, ankle replacements in fellowship. Right, 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 right. So with working with Brian um, and Adam Yankee taking care of the Chicago Bulls and uh, the uh, Windy City Bulls, and then um, that, was, uh, that was a great experience for me. And you learn a lot of things that are not in books. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I mean, that it's a, it's a rigorous process. It takes a lot of time and energy. But, uh, you know, it takes away from perhaps taking care of the regular people as well. It's uh, quite demanding. So, so why would you leave the mecca of Rush? I mean, at the at the moment in which you're there, it's one of the top orthopedic you know places in the world. I yeah. mean, incredible 
like hundreds of orthopedic surgeons across all subspecialties with some of the great thought leaders in orthopedics. And so how did, how come, what was the move? Yeah, it was tough. Um, the reason why was, um, I think it was ready for the next chapter in my uh, career. And the tough thing was that I was happy when I was at Rush and I enjoyed working with all of those guys there. Um, I have only positive things to say about them and they're still friends and I hang out with them. It was just that um, I woke up one day and I wanted to use some of these other skill sets that I had developed over time, um, which are probably challenging to use in a private practice orthopedic group. And really I felt like would be better suited for working in a hospital setting. Um, and so I, uh, I woke up one day and it was a real challenging conversation that I had with them because everything was going pretty well. But um, I ended up going to Loyola and it's been a great opportunity to work with some uh, underserved communities and it's very, very much different than... And you have an administrative role now as well. Yeah, I'm chief medical officer of my hospital. So Loyola has three hospitals and one of them, I am the CMO. So I'm still very uh, active clinically. I have a, a full practice, but it's supposed to be 50-50, but it's more like 80-80. Yeah. And um, it's, a un- it's, uh, it's really exciting. Um, our hospital, like every other hospital, has lots of challenges. Many of them surround, like, revolving around staffing. But it is, uh, at the end of the day, um, this, these are all human problems. There's system things. But it is, as chief medical officer, most of my job is navigating human emotions and um, negotiating and building bridges, basically. And it's hard now. I mean, staffing is incredibly hard, especially nursing across the country at this point. So I know that uh, there's not a day goes by that you don't have some sort of a conflict or issue that needs to be resolved and then also taking care of your patients. And, you know, being kind of a big deal on Instagram oh. and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to put the figuring out how the other hospital administrators are thinking about you as I was watching your Instagram as yeah. we rolled in here. Is there any feedback on that? Are you pretty good? I uh, know I think I'm pretty good. So yeah, there's always the, uh, the curiosity as to whether I'm going to get terminated that day when I arrive after releasing a song, <laughs> but they, for the most part, are actually very supportive of it. And I think they understand like, Life is tough, uh, healthcare is tough, and it's nice to be able to laugh. And so I think that's why they're all right with it. You know, and that's great. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of social media within medicine, right, for any different uh, a number of reasons, whether it's a professional brand, education, whatever it may be. And so you've embraced, you know, that social media. So tell us about that. Why, why do you feel compelled to be able to sort of share some of the things that you're doing? Yeah, um, so I'll say first and foremost, I think uh, the nice thing about it for me is that it's like completely a hobby. So I don't um, accept money or anything for anything that I do. I like get offered often, but uh, as far as um, you know, comedy or um, uh, performing, like I uh, I don't take uh, money for it because I think that takes away the joy from me. It, like turns it into a job, and so. Um, I still do stand up for like charities and those sorts of things once in a while. But as far as the social media aspect, um, essentially when I see something's funny or I think of it, I'm like, you know what? I think other people will laugh at this too. And so then I do something revolving around that. Um, at the same time, it's like I'm a human being. I get stressed. I got other stuff going on as well. And it's like I don't, for the most part, make content for the sake of making content or for followers or likes. I just do it because I think maybe somebody else will think it's funny. Or 
lot of times I just do it for myself. I have a lot of videos and raps where no one else has ever seen them. It's just like, I thought this was funny. I made a urology rap. Um, it's really like clever and funny. And there's no way I will ever release it to the world. Yeah, we're not asking you to. Yeah, just yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But but no, I think that uh, your unique you know branding of of how you use social media is different than than the overwhelming majority of people. Right, you're expressing yourself through your creativity, uh, through your stand up comedy, as well as your ability to rap. I mean, you literally, we're gonna we're gonna have to get you a little bit of rap going on here. I don't know what it is with you foot and ankle dudes, but you know, like Lou Schoen, I know is a good yeah. friend of yours, and we've had Lou on as well, and he's just this mad professor of an orthopedic surgeon. And I just love his story about how he wound up caring for the, for Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. And literally, I got to tell the story again. I mean, it was like Rosh Hashanah. He was practicing with the shofar. And Dave says to him, you know, you're like a mystical doctor. You know, is there something you can do to help me with my ankle? So, so, so he plays the shofar to Dave Grohl. And then literally six weeks later is invited up on the stage at Fenway to be yeah. singing with the Foo Fighters. I'm like, it is the craziest story. It is. What is it with you foot and ankle guys in music? I don't know. You know, I was supposed to, I was giving a talk on ankle replacements and I saw Lou and I was like, hey, you're going to be there. And he's like, I can't, I got to go somewhere else. And I was like, what is more important than this? And I find out later he's in Fenway Park to perform with the Foo Fighters. <laughs> you're like, dude, where, where's my invite? What's going on? Right. Interesting story of how I started rapping though was I, um, I have no musical training whatsoever. I played clarinet in fifth grade, but besides that, no musical training at all. Well, that's pretty apparent. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. All right, we're done here. It was good to see you guys. Um, so I actually, um, when patients come in, I ask them all the same two questions. I say, what do you do for work and what do you do for fun? And um, they usually think I'm asking because I want to know how much they're weight bearing or loading on their feet, but i just like curious. Start a know? conversation. Right. Sure. And so... Um, it's almost half of people say, I don't do anything for fun, and um, which is just like depressing. And so one of my PAs said, just like, Dr. Hamill, what do you do for fun? I was like, oh, what do I do for fun? I don't have any hobbies anymore. I say stand up, but it's like once in a blue moon I do that. And so I was like, you know, I should, I'm going to try um, playing golf. So I, I went and took a couple lessons, and then I was horrible at it. It was so frustrating. <laughs> we all are. It's okay. Yeah. And so I was like, I actually um, – there's one of the uh, shoulder uh, incoming shoulder fellows that's over here. I just called him and I was like, I'm sick of this S word. And I was like, come over here. He was my resident at the time. I said, come over here and take my clubs. They're yours. And so I gave him my clubs, everything. Um, and so I was like, well, what do I like doing? And I was like, I really love rap music, as silly as that sounds. And I was like, I'm very nervous about it because I don't have any training and I'm like embarrassed and, you know, whatever. And so um, one day we were, uh, we were actually at the, um, Academy in 2019 in Las Vegas and went to a concert and it was so fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bite the bullet. So I had a friend who was a musician in Chicago and she said that there's this one studio at the time. It's called Soundscape Studio. She's like, it's really good. It's where Chance the Rapper, um, recorded, you know, his first album. And so I was like, okay. So I call and I talked to one of the interns on the phone and I was like, hi, uh, my name is Kamran. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I want to try rapping. And he's like, all right, let me call the owner. So I calls Mike. And I talked to Mike. Hi, I'm Kamran. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. He's like, I, was like, I got the guy for you. His name is Jeff. So I like, so okay. didn't see like, yeah, and I was get like, the hell out of I here, thought it, no, I thought I was gonna, exactly. His name was going to be like Lil Tay Tay or something like that. He's like, I got Jeff for you. So I show up and I meet Jeff, Jeff Aronson. And so um, I'm like, 
here's like some music that I bought online and like I wrote some lyrics, you know, to record them. He's like, okay, fine. Is no emotions whatsoever. So I go into the studio. Did you have to pay for this? You just like cold no. called him and just walked in. No, I cold called. I have to pay for it. So you got to pay in advance too. Okay. Um, and so anyways, I go with in. the money you got for your golf clubs. Right, right. Exactly. Um, I, uh, and so I go in and, um, I am in the recording booth and I'm recording and it's like, he'll do the thing and I'll like record and then you'll play it back for me. And I have no idea what this sounds like or whether it's good or bad or anything. Like I'm so used to positive feedback in my life that like there's no feedback. Jeff is a black hole. And so I was like, is that okay? And he's like, it's fine. And I was like, okay. So (laughs) So you've got A's your entire life. Yeah. And then this guy keeps saying it's fine. And then I like, so anyways, we go through the whole thing and then, at the end, I was like, so how was that like for first timer? And he's like, it wasn't horrible. And I was <laughs> like, okay. So anyways, end up going back. And um, the next time I went, um, there's two studios over there. And Jeff has worked with like Lil Wayne, Tuche, like all these famous, Chief Keefe, like all these big time rappers, right? And me. And You have um, to be one of the top 10 Indian orthopedic rappers in the world. Top 15 at least, right? <laughs> so um, anyways... I go back the second time and I learned one thing at Rush, okay, which is that if you buy people lunch, they like you a lot more. <laughs> so I went to the studio and first of all, most people record there, um, you know, on substances and at like, you know, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I'm the only person that shows up at like 3 p.m. on Sunday. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm ready to rap. And so anyways, he, um, Jeff uh, is me, Jeff, and then there's like the intern over there and somebody else in the other studio is recording. And I was like, run them up. I'm like, I'm buying everybody burritos. It's like, okay, fine. After I buy everybody burritos, everybody loved me at that point in time. And so then um, Jeff and I have become like great, great friends over awesome. the past four years. And he, uh, to where he actually shows emotion towards me now. Does, uh, does he bring, so, can you, can you like co-rap with any of these other guys? Are you uh, I've to- done, yeah, I've done, um, I've done raps. There's a guy who, um, help with like uh, turnover and anesthesia tech type stuff in the OR when I was at Rush and I found out he was a rapper and he's incredibly talented but just didn't have access to like necessarily great production and so um, we went to the uh, studio together and he sounds like so amazing. That's so amazing. awesome. I, can, I mean like all these people I work with are far more talented than I am, but we have a good time together. But you can do foot and ankle surgery. Yes, I can do foot and ankle surgery, and legally none of them can. So uh, <laughs> I love it. So look, we're here at the Shoulder 360, and I know that you put together a little special. We don't want to want to take away, but yeah. any chance we can get a little bit of a wrap here as we're finishing oh, up? Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, a, I, I'll let you guys listen to it, but... I'm going to have to look at the lyrics because I yeah, literally no. yeah, um, dude, go. I wrote the lyrics while I was driving to the studio. So unfortunately, sometimes I just don't remember the, the song. Okay, you ready? I'm just going to, um, so the intro goes, this is dedicated to anyone who scuffed cartilage with a trocar and tried to pretend like it was already there. And then there's like a, like a little voiceover saying, wow, that is some linear arthritis. I hope they enjoy that. I don't know if it's funny or not. I definitely have scuffed some cartilage as a resident fellow. All right. So this song then goes, it's uh, based off of Soldier Boy, Superman, or like Crank That is the name of the song. I'll just, I'll just freestyle. I'll just freestyle. Go freestyle, freestyle dude. Okay. Let's see what you got. So Go. goes, Shoulder Boy up in this joint. Peep the cuff is barely torn. Cut it off and put it on and send the boy back home. Peek and shriek. I'm in trouble, maybe. Just do the Tina Desis. 
It's some bundle, baby, looking for a wife, yeah, you already know. I want to like my cuff, that's Gutalia 4. I killed at surgery, a funeral dead, and now I'm riding high like a humeral head. <laughs> so, so stupid. No, that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about it. You're going to get a huge audience uh, response for that as you roll on in. So when, do, when are we going to see that? When's it happening? Uh, so I give a technical talk on value-based care at one, but the stand-up and rapping is about 5 o'clock, so I'll be doing some stand-up and rapping. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, our listeners get to hear it first, that's for great. sure. Brother, now this was fantastic. Love having you here. We've been uh, looking forward to getting you on for quite some time. I love your just your approach to life. You're you're fun. You're exciting. You're energetic. You're you're doing so many things at the administrative level of care for for patients in a hospital setting. Your side hustle as a foot and ankle orthopedic surgeon and stand up comedy and rapping. One of the most unique guests we've ever had on the Ortho Show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is Doctor Scott Sigmund. Hashtag follow the fro host of the ortho show till next time.